Thank you for listening, but please be advised that I don't just believe shit I hear on podcasts, and you shouldn't either. Be skeptical and confirm information before sharing it. Please also be advised that I do swear and I don't take the time to bleep it out. So listener discretion is advised. But most importantly for this episode, a couple of things come up that you may want to skip past. There is talk of accidents involving children in the Christian Privilege segment between 9 minutes and 50 seconds and 11 minutes. There is also brief mention of assault in the mental health segment today, which is in honor of Mental Health Awareness Month. The assault comment falls between 22 minutes and 40 seconds and 23 minutes and 15 seconds. So please skip past these sections if these are topics you would rather avoid. Put your mental health first. episode 60 of Living Through Extinction, a short to the point podcast to a science skepticism, the occasional angry rant, environment, wildlife, and ways we as people can be better for future generations. And there is almost always something positive at the end in case some of the news I share gets you down. How is everyone? Since the precautions were dropped, almost everyone I know has been getting COVID. And these are people who have been doing everything right. They don't deserve this. Most have been all right, but some were need of hospital sick and the hospitals were full. My husband and I have both had it now but thankfully it appears to have been a milder variant. On a brighter note, I don't normally watch stats at all but for some reason decided to log in and check them out recently. From what I saw when I checked in December, I expected to hit the 5,000 unique download mark this summer sometime. I must have miscalculated however because it was already past that when I checked two weeks ago. I haven't even posted pictures of the draw package yet. I'm super anxious that nobody is going to enter, y'all, so please, please, please? Am I begging? Yes, I'm begging. Please enter. The next couple of episodes will have the information about how to enter and the details on the prizes at the beginning and end. So, please? Okay, done begging for today. Speaking of today, I will be talking Christian privilege and how Christian persecution is a thing that doesn't even exist in our nations at this time. Experiments with artificial whale poop, more future cancer treatments without side effects, mental health, and the growing problem with wild pigs in Alberta, Canada. I'm looking at you, Kevin Doc Wilson of Creative Conundrums. We know this last one is your fault. If you've joined me before, then thank you so much for returning. If this is your first time listening to Living Through Extinction, welcome! I hope you find it fun and informative enough to check out some of my other recent episodes. Those who have always experienced privilege consider equality to be oppression. I can't recall where I first heard that, but it rings true on this continent in so many ways. When Christians cry oppression, it is usually because we want them to stand by the same standards as everyone else would be expected to. It's usually due to people demanding the equal rights they should be entitled to in a free nation, which is ironic because the Christians love to cry that their freedoms are being taken away when they are the ones limiting the rights of their overall citizens a little more every month. They cry Christian morality while it is members of their religion that commit the greatest number of violent crimes in our nations. And they often use their book to defend those crimes. A book written by over 40 people over a period of centuries, all of whom were men of an ignorant and misogynistic era of humanity. Did you know that the woman who recently won the right to proceed with her case against those cops who forcibly baptized her was found dead a week later? 
As awful as that is, I wasn't surprised at all. I almost expected it. In case you missed the story that started back in February of 2019, I know not everyone follows cases of religious-based injustices the way I do, so in case this is new to you, a woman was pulled over just outside her mother's house, and as far as I can tell, no reason was ever given to her for the pullover. He had her get out of the car, though, and started to question her. She openly confided that she was in possession of a roach in her cigarette pack. He searched the car, found the roach, and gave her a choice. Get arrested or get baptized. If you don't see how horrific this is, you are one of the brainwashed masses. Seriously, that's some fucked up shit. And to those of you who think that there's nothing wrong with this, I fucking guarantee you that if this had been a Muslim who'd insisted on blessing her in the name of Islam, you would have lost your shit. You love to say, well, that's different, but it's not. You think it's different because it's coming from your belief system, but you are wrong. This is a horrific and against the law thing for any person of authority to do to anyone, no matter the belief system it is based on, period. But Christians think they're special. Privilege. It's even worse than it sounds, though. He insisted on going to a body of water and made this woman follow him in her car to a lake. After dark. Alone. He then called another officer to come and film the baptism. And it still gets worse. When they got there, she expected to have to kneel at the edge of the water or something. But nope. He stripped down to his underwear and shirt and waded in and suggested that she strip and wade in as well. Can you fucking imagine? She refused and just waded in fully clothed. What was she supposed to do at this point? Two officers of the law have her alone in a secluded location. I dare you to try to convince me that there was any sense of good doings in these officers. This whole thing was about control. Plain and simple. And the fact that they felt so entitled that they fucking filmed the whole thing? Fuck. And so she sued, and last month the courts ruled that she had standing and her case would move forward. And a week later, she's dead. The fact that this was so predictable is what is really fucking scary. Most of what I'm going to talk about today is US-centric. But that's because they have the worst of it at this time. It does not mean these things don't happen here in Canada, because they do. And it does not mean that we don't have these entitled dumbasses here in Canada, because we definitely do. And their numbers are growing. In the U.S., nonprofit charity organizations get to register under a special tax code, 501c3. Religious organizations claim that they assist people and spend their funds on those people, and they should be included. I say claim because, unlike all other organizations registered under 501c3s, they don't have to report their money in and out, so nobody can ever really know what they're spending their money on or how much they really have. The fact that they do not have to report these things is a specifically religious-based privilege. Another rule under 501c3 is that no political stance may be taken. If you want to be tax-exempt, then you may not ever promote any political candidate. If a group like Freedom From Religion were to endorse a candidate, they would have their 501c3 status taken away from them. That's the case with all 501c3s. Except religious organizations. They preach politics from the pulpit all the time, and when they are turned in for it, the FBI do nothing. Again, privilege. And think about the combination for just a moment. If they do not have to report funds in and out, and they are allowed to preach politics, what's to stop them from taking money from corrupt politicians and telling their congregation to vote for them? Nothing. It is the perfect setup for the corrupt. 
And these pastors get to line their pockets. A preacher who preaches politics illegally is breaking the law and is probably in the pocket of some corrupt politician. The research segment on this episode is about mental health. If someone needs therapy, it really should come from a trained professional. There is licensing required for these professionals. Practicing without that licensing could get someone in big trouble, unless they are the leader of a church. Priests, pastors, ministers very often get to act as counselors, and worse, marriage counselors, with no training in any area that would involve such things. Oh, and no licensing required, of course. Can you imagine seeing a priest for marriage counseling? Why does it make any sense to anybody to seek marriage counsel from a man who is supposed to be single and childless for life? Yet it happens. No training or experience or licensing required. Privilege. And you know how childcare is strictly regulated, right? There are rules and regulations regarding the staff-to-child ratio, training and education of staff, safety of the space the children will be in, and the state of the outdoor area. And, of course, there are background checks for adults who will be left with the children. These are regulated by state, and childcare facilities have to be able to show their state that they meet all the requirements at any time. Unless the childcare is in a church basement in way too many states where there is almost no oversight or regulations if the child care is faith-based. They claim religious exemption and somehow get away with it. They get to do their own thing regardless of the safety of the children because God. The minimum standards put on everyone else? The church-based ones don't have to worry about any of that. They don't even have background check regulations, which is a really great way to put kids at risk. There have been countless reports of abuse and neglect from these places, and the incidents are very serious. How dare these people say that they put kids first? I'm going to share two examples just to show how serious these issues that occur are. If you do not wish to hear about children being seriously injured, you may wish to skip forward about a minute. In one case in Virginia, an untrained and inexperienced worker in one of these childcare facilities put an infant down in a crib face down, and the infant died. In another case, a child of less than two years was left alone in a room with several other children. The child was sleeping on the floor in front of an unsecured dresser with a TV on top of it. Another child tripped on an unsecured cord and caused the unsecured dresser to tip and the TV to fall onto the toddler, who now lives with permanent brain damage as a result. Do you work in legitimate licensed childcare? How many violations did you spot in what I just described that if dealt with properly would have saved this child from a lifetime of suffering? All these special privileges that nobody else can have and they have the nerve to call themselves oppressed just because some people do not believe the same way or wish to live their lives in the same way as these privileged assholes do. The thing that inspired me to do a segment this week on Christian privilege was that plane incident that I'm sure you all saw by now. Blatant disrespect and lack of courtesy to others on the plane. On an easy jet flight, mid-flight so nobody could go anywhere, Jonathan Neo got up and started playing his guitar in the aisles and singing worship songs. Of course, the Christians on the plane thought this was great and joined in with him. But what about everyone else? It's pretty clear in the videos that there are plenty of people on that plane who suddenly really do not want to be there. Many of the passengers were not at all amused, but they were stuck with it. Were they asked if this was okay with all of them? Were they asked if any of them needed to work or to study or to sleep on this flight? <laughs> no. Did the Christians care? They don't usually. These Christians wanted to sing worship songs to Jesus, so fuck your work studies and rest. It's like they can't even comprehend that not everybody enjoys what they enjoy. It's like 
They don't comprehend that this is literally forcing people to attend their concert. Many people there did not and would not have chosen this. Where's the privilege, you ask? Well, just think for a moment how these same Christians who joined in in this case would have reacted if it had been a group of Jewish people singing Havanagila or a single Muslim person saying Praise Allah. You know damn well how they would have reacted. They would have cried oppression at having another religion pushed down their throats because to them it's different when it's their religion. And somehow they do not see the ignorance and hypocrisy in that. One of the many questions Hemet Mehta posted for the Christian worship singers was, quote, why do you think hijacking a plane for Jesus is okay, but a rainbow flag in a classroom is too aggressive? By the way, he is not using hyperbole here. The words hijacking plane for Jesus were used by the Christians on the plane in their social medias. Those are their words, not Hemet's. Now imagine if a bunch of Muslims going praise Allah had put hijacking the plane for Allah on their social media and think about how these same people who made this post would react. Fucking privilege. That question he asked, that's a question I'd love to hear the answer to from any person who supports these obliviously rude people. So I'll repeat it. Why do you think hijacking a plane for Jesus is okay, but a rainbow flag in a classroom is too aggressive? Why? There is no Christian oppression on this continent. Only Christian privilege. If you don't understand the reality that Christians are not oppressed in the U.S., and as a matter of fact, they are actually the ones doing the oppressing, then you definitely need to be more skeptical, damn it. Whale poop was an important part of our ocean ecosystems for centuries. Whales have to surface to defecate, and when they do, their poop encourages the growth of phytoplankton blooms, which in turn feed billions of fish. The planet whale population is now just 5% of what it was 500 years ago, and this has changed the ocean ecosystem dramatically. Ideas are being considered, and experiments are going to begin with the end goal of figuring out how to bring crucial biodiversity back to many parts of our oceans. The idea is to come up with a form of artificial whale poo that can be used to reboot marine ecosystems which have been starved of nutrients. The hope is that this will result in restoring dwindling fish populations. This international endeavor will conduct its first experiments off the west coast of India. If whale populations make a comeback someday, it will no longer be required, but for now, it may be our best shot at helping to bring some life back. What the artificial poo will be made up of is yet to be determined. Iron-rich sands and volcanic ash are both plausible options. It's important to come up with the right mixture of nitrates, silicates, phosphates, and iron, replicating the real chemical makeup as closely as possible. The current method of delivery being considered are baked rice husks. These husks are a biodegradable factory waste product, and it's believed they can be coated with the artificial poop and set out in the ocean to float around and release it. This first experiment by India will be trying them out to see if they actually will work efficiently as a delivery system. If so, then that will be making very good use of a waste product, which is great! Who knew that whale poop was such an important part of our ocean ecosystem? Well. I'm sure marine biologists did, but it's something that never crossed my mind. Whale poop to the rescue! Wild pigs have been spreading across the Alberta prairies and are now approaching the river valley of Edmonton. This has the potential to cause some pretty serious problems. Ryan Brook of the University of Saskatchewan has been studying them and calls the pigs an ecological train wreck. He says that wild pigs are the worst invasive mammal on the planet. They are one of the worst animals for tearing up forest floors, and as they move through the prairies, they've been destroying the native grasslands. 
They wallow in wetlands and tear them up to make their nests, contaminating the water with both mud and pathogens. A small group can very quickly completely destroy crops, making them an extra problem for farmers to deal with as well. And they are absolutely a public health hazard, as wild pigs can transmit all sorts of diseases, not just to other wildlife, but livestock, pets, and humans as well. In fact, these pigs can carry up to 89 diseases, including African swine fever. Foot and mouth disease is another one they carry, and there is risk of them spreading it to the Alberta meat industry. According to the Alberta Invasive Species Council, if this happens, it could cost the province an estimated $51 billion in national exports. So there are definite financial damages that can be done to the province on top of the ecological and health issues. They will feed on pretty much anything. Squirrels, roadkill, deer, eggs, birds, and unlike the Chicago urban coyotes I talked about in episode 32, they will kill pets. They compete with the deer and wild turkeys for vegetation and often beat the native coyotes to the scene of a kill, stealing their much needed proteins. Apparently, they have already been linked to the decline of 22 plant species and four amphibian species. These resilient fuckers are surviving our Canadian winters by building pigloos, my new favorite word. These pigloos are burrows that they dig out and heap with cattail plants for insulation. And they're called pigloos. Hey, I get that pigs are trouble, but you have to admit there's kind of an adorable sound to the word pigloo. Moving on. Wild pigs are large and messy, up to 100 kilograms or 220 pounds. If they reach urban areas, they will scavenge through trash, exposing garbage, attracting other animals, and bringing on other problems for homeowners. And we have to remember that urban areas have their own wildlife and ecosystems, and wild pigs moving in will severely jeopardize the urban wildlife, just as it does the native wildlife of the forests and prairies. There are a lot of very good reasons to try and stop these pigs from spreading. The Alberta Invasive Species Council launched a campaign called Squeal on Pigs, which encourages residents to report all sightings. This will help them to locate the sounders, or groups of wild pigs, which is apparently the only way to really get rid of them because of how smart they are. In the past, when wild pigs have been problems in other areas, people tried hunting them down one by one. But the problem would get worse. This makes no sense, right? But it's because of their intelligence. When they are hunted one by one, they immediately change their habits, paths taken, burrows hidden in, etc. The best way to take them out is to locate them in large groups and annihilate them altogether if possible. I understand that that sounds pretty brutal, but if that bothers you, think about all of the other plants and animals and ecosystems that that would be protecting. As of February, Edmonton officials had made zero plans to deal with the wild pigs if and when they do reach the city limits. Experts say that not having a plan is a recipe for disaster. They're going to have to be dealt with quickly and severely when they arrive. Or the havoc they have the potential to incur on the city is pretty huge. According to Mike Bodenchuk, a biologist at the U.S. Department of Agriculture, they are able to adapt and thrive in urban environments, very much like Chicago's urban coyotes do. But instead of being pretty much unnoticed like the coyotes... They've been known to be found in people's yards, under car shades, and even knocking over headstones in city cemeteries, on top of killing beloved pets. Hopefully someone representing the city of Edmonton listens to the experts at some point, and they do start to develop a plan before it gets too bad. May is Mental Health Awareness Month. How is your mental health these days? I know the pandemic has had negative effects on that for most of us. It's been hard. Do you pay attention to your mental health? Do you take notice when you have sudden changes in routine, attitude, or emotion? 
It's something we should practice. After all, most mental health issues can be treated, and most of us with mental illness or who experience poor mental health could very well live normal lives if we receive appropriate medical care. First, keep in mind that having poor mental health does not mean that you have a mental illness or disorder, just as having a mental illness or disorder does not necessarily mean you have poor mental health. They are different things. Illnesses and disorders are more specified, diagnosable, and serious, though they can often be treated successfully with medication. Most of us with mental illnesses or disorders will see signs of them before we turn 18. We make up 20% of the population here in Canada. That's one in five, so don't feel like you're abnormal. If you have signs that something may be wrong, seeking treatment is very important. If left untreated, one can have their thinking, mood, and behavior all affected, and those effects can sometimes be long-lasting. One might lose their ability to relate to people, to function in normal society, but so many stay quiet and write it out, so to speak, because of stigma. Poor mental health is something that anyone can experience, and the truth is, the great majority of people will experience it at some point in their lifetime. It can be a result of stresses being experienced, and sometimes working through those with a professional can help provide you with the tools you need to reclaim your mental health. I'm pretty open and honest about my mental issues. I've had trichotillomania for as far back as I can remember, but didn't find out what it was until my late 20s, maybe early 30s. I'm one of the lucky ones, though. It's only ever affected my eyelashes and nothing else. Super easy to hide. The earliest I recall having tics was around 12 or 13, but those were slight enough that I was almost always able to cover them up. That's something I've noticed maybe getting a bit worse and harder to hide as I age. I started having anxiety episodes on and off when I was around 8 or 9 years old. And I had some depression issues in my teens, which is actually rather normal. The anxiety stayed rather mild through most of my teens, with a few bad patches here and there. In my 20s, however, the anxiety came back, but this time as a pretty serious disorder. I would have complete breakdowns, believing 100% that people were absolutely dead because they were late. I also couldn't sleep alone in my own home for a very long time. Every sound was someone in my yard or in the house or trying to get into the house. I also couldn't walk alone anywhere without my heart beating out of my chest and shit. And I had the occasional physical panic attack, where out of nowhere my chest would start to hurt so bad I'd end up on the floor almost passed out. It was wild. My anxiety had me in fear pretty much all the time. Our mental health issues are sometimes a result of chemical imbalances, sometimes inherited, but can also be the result of experience and trauma, or, of course, any combination of these things. While my early childhood anxiety issues were likely due to some form of an imbalance, a traumatic experience at 20 very well could have contributed to it being re-triggered and coming back stronger than ever in my 20s. I was abducted and assaulted two months before my 21st birthday, and my anxiety came back and got super severe in the years that followed which would probably explain why a lot of my anxieties revolved around being alone, I guess. I'm fine today, by the way. While I may still fall into poor mental health and possibly slip a bit back towards depression every now and then, my anxiety medication has made it so I can live a normal life. I can walk alone comfortably again. I can be home alone and actually enjoy my alone time and sleep at night. I don't automatically assume everyone is dead when I can't reach them anymore, though I may still have a few issues in that department when it comes to my kids. And I haven't had a painful panic attack in about 20 years. As for my past traumas, I've reached a point in life where I guess they're far enough back that I can talk about them fairly openly and matter-of-factly without getting emotional or anxious. But of course, my mental health issues are still there. If I stop taking my medication, I will turn back into a person I don't want to be. The trichotillomania still comes back in times of stress, my tics are worsening with age, and I have to pay attention to my mental health every day because it's easy to slip away before I even realize I'm slipping. According to the CDC, our mental health includes emotional, psychological, and social well-being. It's not just important for people having a hard time. 
mental health is important for everyone and can be damaged at any stage of life. The state of our mental health will have an effect on how we think, feel, act, handle stress, relate to others, make choices, and more. It's just as important as any other part of our health. Most of us should be in therapy. Many of you may think that's extreme, but studies have shown how therapy helps everyone in so many areas of life. Being in therapy means you care about your mental health. That's it. It doesn't necessarily mean you have mental health issues. If anything, for many people, being in therapy will help them to avoid these issues and maintain healthy mental states. I should mention that what I'm talking about when I say therapy is science-based and secular. Chances are your priest is not qualified to provide you with beneficial therapy. I've been unstable, and I gotta tell you, it sucks. There's no joy in it. The peace and joy I found in life when I finally was able to get my anxiety under control was fucking beautiful, and I never want to go back. It's been shown that people in a good state of mind, people who are in good mental health, enjoy things more. Life, their environment, even other people. People who take care of their mental health are more likely to be creative and more willing to learn new things and try new things. They're also more likely to be better able to cope with difficulties and get past those negatives in life. It assists with resilience and recovery in so many areas. On the other hand, poor mental health can lead to an unhealthy embracing of the negative. It can cause confusion, loss of sense of humor, anxiety, irritability, fear, decreased concentration, and memory abilities. And these can also lead to poor physical health and negatively affect relationships. A person in poor mental health is less likely to be contributing to society, which is one of the reasons I don't understand why our country doesn't prioritize it at all. A person with poor mental health may also lack the ability to see their own abilities and potential. People in poor mental health can have their ability to solve problems affected, as well as just their abilities to be happy and productive. It can even lower one's immune system, making them ill more often. Again, in a country that pays for our health care for the most part, how is this not included? Overall, healthier people are less of a burden on the system in the end. That is just a fact. Mental illnesses or disorders, as mentioned earlier, can be much more serious, even fatal, and they are incredibly common. Some of the most common types are anxiety disorders, which are associated with fear, dread, panic, and, of course, overall anxiety. Mood disorders, which are associated with fluctuations from extreme happiness to extreme sadness, or in other cases, persistent feelings of either sadness or extreme happiness. Psychotic disorders, associated with a corrupt awareness, perception, and thinking. The most common of these would be hallucinations and delusions. Eating disorders, which involve extreme emotions and behaviors around weight and food. Impulse control and addiction disorders, which include things like pyromania, kleptomania, and compulsive gambling. Personality disorders, which tends to lean towards not being able to relate to people or function in society under societal norms. Obsessive-compulsive disorders are where people are stuck repeating themselves with habits that become more like necessary rituals. And one we have all heard of, post-traumatic stress disorder, which may consist of flashbacks, fear, and a myriad of terrible symptoms as a result of experiencing or witnessing some traumatic event. All of these disorders I just mentioned are common, and that was just some of the common ones. We've all, at the very least, known someone with at least one mental illness or disorder. More than likely several someones. Less common mental disorders include disassociative disorders, where one has severe disconnects with themselves, their surroundings, their memory, pretty much everything. And tic disorders, which are a spectrum of neurodevelopmental conditions, a commonly known example being Tourette syndrome. All of these illnesses and disorders should be treated in some way, many with medications. 
When it comes to day-to-day -day mental health, however, there are things we can do ourselves to help improve things. Exercise is one. I, personally, am not an exerciser, but I understand that it would definitely have positive impacts on both my mental and physical health. It won't cure anything, but the impacts are generally all positive. Exercise can positively impact mild to moderate depression, help reduce anxiety, help with tension, fatigue, and anger, help to counteract withdrawal symptoms, help to counteract feelings of hopelessness. Just five minutes of activity has been shown to stimulate anti-anxiety effects. So, exercise good. Believe it or not, a balanced diet can have a positive effect on mental issues as well. People who eat properly are feeding their brain and body, and their brain function will be optimized. Learning the skill of meditation is something that helps many people with stress-related mental health issues. A person can actually learn to relax both their body and mind in this way. It's not something I've ever mastered, but it may be something that works for you. The actual link between stress levels and poor mental health are not completely understood at this time, but we do know for a fact that stress has negative effects on both mental health and mental illnesses and disorders. There are many signs one can watch for both in themselves and in their loved ones that may cue one to the possibility that there may be a problem in the area of their mental health. This can include changes in eating habits, withdrawing from the people one normally enjoys spending time with, as well as withdrawing from activities they normally enjoy. Other things are unexplained low or no energy, feelings of numbness, of not really mattering, feelings of helplessness or hopelessness, unexplained aches and pains, severe mood swings, finding oneself unusually confused, forgetful, angry, worried, scared, etc. Intrusive, unwanted thoughts or memories, thoughts of harming oneself or others, sudden increased use of unhealthy coping mechanisms such as drugs or alcohol, or stopping normal daily tasks such as washing up, brushing your hair, keeping on schedule. The important thing is, if you experience these symptoms, you acknowledge them and seek help. The important thing for us as a society is to talk about these things openly and without shame as much as possible until they have finally been destigmatized. The more of us who talk about these things, the more people will realize that they are not alone, and that could lead to more people speaking up about themselves and seeking the help that could change or even save their life. If you think you have a mental illness or even poor mental health, it's very important to address it. Understand that it's not your fault. Understand that there is absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. Tell someone. Reach out. Advocate for your mental needs just as you should for your physical health needs. When you find yourself a mental health professional, be open and honest with them. They are not there to judge you. They are there to help. Assuming it's not a religious-based therapy, stay the hell away from those. They are not good for anyone's mental health. Secular, science-based therapy offers benefits to everyone not just people with mental health problems. It can help you to understand not just yourself, but the people around you every day. It can help you to process issues that may otherwise stay on your mind and eat away at you for weeks or experiences so they can be recovered from. Therapy will help you to develop your own tools for dealing with anger, fear, whatever you may be struggling with. It will help you to recognize what you need for your own mental health and what obstacles to your mental health may be in the way. Your mental health is important, and so is the mental health of your friends and family. Not everyone is comfortable reaching out when they really want to talk about something. So try to be that person who is so open and accepting of these things that they see you as safe. Maybe even take the first step if you're comfortable with that. Be the one to reach out and let people know you are non-judging and available. They may ignore you or say no thanks. Fine. 
But what if someone really needs to talk and can't bring themselves to bring it up with anyone and nobody else reaches out? You may end up providing them with the outlet they needed, or you may help them to gain the insight they needed to see that they should see a professional. You reaching out may save a life. And if they didn't want to hear from you, don't take that personally. Overall, it's so much better to reach out than to stay silent. If you are the one who needs help, and you are in need of speaking with professionals, here are a few resources to keep in mind. The Secular Therapy Project, which I talked about on episode 52, is a tool for finding science-based secular therapy near you. Go to http colon slash slash seculartherapy.org if you need to make sure your therapy is free of religious or woo-based influence. This is a worldwide service. Wherever you are, if you need this group, please go to http colon slash slash seculartherapy.org and see what they can do for you. In Canada, there are two suicide prevention hotlines, one for Quebec, 1-866-277-3553, and one for the rest of the country, 1-833-456-4566. And one can also visit www.crisisservicescanada.ca to find out what services and supports are available for people in crisis in their area. In the U.S., there's a National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. And there is a Youth Line, 1-877-968-8491. One can also call suicide.org at 1-800-784-2433 for support and to find out what services are available in their area. Looking after your mental health is a part of looking after you. And you matter, dammit. The worst part of cancer treatments are often the side effects. The latest nanoparticle advances and discoveries have shown pretty encouraging progress in addressing the issue of cancerous tumors, and so far it appears to be doing so without side effects. Nanoparticles are just 1 to 100 nanometers long. These newly discovered nanoparticles are derived from corn and are much cheaper and easier to mass produce than traditional silicone-based ones. That's one bonus. They have also shown a tendency to target carcinogenic cells specifically and significantly inhibit their growth without affecting normal healthy cells, which is obviously the major find. The results have been extremely encouraging in mice so far. The tumors are being treated and the mice do not appear to be suffering any ill effects from the treatment. Anyone who has been through or watched a loved one go through chemo or radiation therapy knows what a big deal it would be to have a cancer treatment without side effects. I definitely consider this to be a positive news story. The study was published by the Tokyo University of Science in November 2021 in Scientific Reports. Thank you for joining me for my 60th episode. I'm trying out some new intro and outro tunes for the first time. If anyone has thoughts on this change, be they positive or negative, I would love to hear them. Everyone take care, and may your health and sanity be replenished daily. My eternal gratitude goes out to the following people. Jason Martin, for helping me get started on this project two years ago. I wouldn't be doing this right now if not for him. Kathy Rayner, for her musical contribution on the violin. Paul Palmer, for his musical contribution on the guitar. He can be found at WPG Suitcase Drummer on Instagram or playing live with Toad Turner. Dustin Harder, for composing and recording the new intro and outro you heard today. You can find him on Facebook at Toad Turner Music. Instagram at Prairie Soul Music, or see him live playing with Toad Turner. 
And finally, thank you to my family who puts up with me hiding in my bedroom, reading articles and making notes for hours at a time so I can actually do this podcast thing that gives me joy. I hope you will choose to join me again in two weeks for episode 61 of Living Through Extinction. Thank you.